The Lord be with you. And also with you. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Here from the Gospel according to St. Luke, how our Lord Jesus entered Jerusalem. When he had come near Bethpage and Bethany, at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? Just say this, The Lord needs it. So those who were sent departed and found it as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They said, The Lord needs it. Then they brought it to Jesus, and after throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. As he rode along, people kept spreading their cloaks on the road. As he was now approaching the path down from the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the deeds of power that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, order your disciples to stop. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the stones would shout out. Let us go forth in peace. In the name of Christ.
we pray. Almighty God, on this day your Son, Jesus Christ, entered the holy city of Jerusalem and was proclaimed King by those who spread their garments and palm branches along the way. Let those branches be for us signs of his victory and grant that we who bear them in his name may ever hail him as our Lord and follow him in the way that leads to eternal life, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Please be seated. Sin is utterly personal. This we understand. The covenantal commands of the Decalogue have a personal consequence. For we confess a personal dimension to the apocalyptic sway of sin. The angels in heaven and perhaps a few others may need no repentance. But as grace touches ground in Jesus Christ, sin touches sand in personal confessions. We get lost. It is our nature, east of Eden. We get lost in sex without love, lust. We get lost in consumption without nourishment, gluttony. We get lost in accumulation without investment, avarice. We get lost in rest without weariness, in happiness without struggle, sloth. We get lost in righteousness without restraint, anger. We get lost in desire without ration or respect, envy. And most regularly, we get lost in integrity without humility, pride. If you've never known lust, gluttony, avarice, sloth, anger, envy, or pride, you are not a sinner. You are outside the cloud of sin, and you need no repentance, and you also may not be quite human. Thank you. 
if we believe that life has meaning and purpose, if we believe that the giver of life loves us, if we believe that divine love lasts, if we believe that justice, mercy, and humility endure, if we believe that God so loved the world to give God's only Son, if we believe that Jesus is the transcript in time of God in eternity, if we believe that all God's children are precious in God's sight, if we believe grace and forgiveness are at the heart of the universe, if we believe that God has loved us personally, and we do. if we believe in God, then we shall trust God over the valley of the shadow of death. Then we shall trust that love is stronger than death. Then we shall trust the mysterious promise of resurrection. Then we shall trust the faith of Christ relying upon faith alone. Then we shall trust the enduring worth of personality. Then we shall trust that just deeds and merciful words are never in vain. Then we shall trust the giver of life to give eternal life. Then we shall trust the source of love to love eternally. Then we shall trust that we rest protected in God's embrace. Then we shall trust in God. Please join me in reading responsibly Psalm 31, verses 9 through 16, with the antiphone. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eye is wasted from grief, my soul and body also. For my life is spent with sorrow, and my years were sighing. My strength fails because of my misery, and my bones wasted away. I am the scorn of all my adversaries, a horror to all my neighbors, an object of dread to my acquaintances. Those who see me in the street flee from me. For I hear the whispering of many, terror all around, as they scheme together against me, as they plot to take my life. I trust in you, O Lord. I say you are my God. My times are in your hands. Deliver me from the hand of my enemies and persecutors. Let your face shine on your servant. Now please rise as you are able and bow your spirit for the singing of the Glory Patri.
please be seated. Now that we have come to the Passion narrative, we need to name and regret a biblical disappointment. If we are going to read the Bible at all and hear the gospel together, then we need to be honest about a scriptural disappointment. As with all of our lives, the Bible itself, the very word of God, does nonetheless harbor disappointments. Hear the good news. There is even freedom following religious disappointment. Sometimes our great strengths occasion our most glaring weaknesses. If, for example, John is the Bible's great strength, it would then be possible that here, too, we might find great weakness. And we do. Oh, I give no ground with regard to the truth of Scripture. The Bible is freedom's book. The pulpit is freedom's voice. The church is freedom's defense. It is also occasionally true that the Bible is a holy disappointment. Nowhere in Scripture is the height of Christian freedom more powerfully depicted than in John, and yet, at the same time, nowhere is the Bible more of a disappointment. This year we hear from Luke a passion narrative of a milder sort. Other years we hear from John. John's gospel is anti-Semitic, at least to our ears after 1940. It was composed in the white heat of one small group leaving a synagogue in order freely to worship what the synagogue could only understand as a second god. It was the charge of ditheism, though denied and controverted, which moved John's little church out into a free and frightening future. So the Gospel of John speaks roughly of its Semitic mother religion, of its own tradition. The living water is meant to surpass the dead water of Jacob, of Jacob's well. Notice the way the writer refers with oral scare quotes to, quote, the Jews, quote. Like Robert E. Lee calling Yankees, quote, those people, quote. Notice the dismissive explication here and elsewhere of Jewish rites. Notice that even though salvation is from the Jews, his own people, quote, receive him not, quote. Notice Jesus saying, quote, all who came before me are thieves and robbers, quote. We have an obligation to notice and to regret, to express contrition and compunction. These words from this gospel have done immeasurable harm from Augustine to Luther to the Third Reich to today, and that is a grave spiritual disappointment. As Christianity puts its best foot forward, it is really the other one that needs attention. We have two biographies ourselves, that of persecuted and that of persecutor. Of all religious bodies, we have the most work to do with regard to anti-Semitism. How are we to find freedom following such spiritual disappointment? By facing facts by learning from our experience of success and failure, and by moving ahead. The fact is that Christianity has been pervasively guilty of latent and patent anti-Semitism, and the Gospel of John has been one of its sources. We have and can learn from this failure by carefully monitoring our use of religious language, and we can move ahead. John is guiding us toward a global vision 
an ecumenical spirituality, a universal truth, a global village green, space for grace and time for freedom. And our Jewish brothers and sisters can teach us to continue with Jacob to wrestle with God. The Passion of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Luke, chapter 22, verse 14, through chapter 23, verse 56. When the hour came, he took his place at the table, and the apostles with him. I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer, for I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup and gave thanks. Take this and divide it among yourselves, for I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Then he took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he did the same with the cup after supper. This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood, but see... The one who betrays me is with me, and his hand is on the table. For the Son of Man is going as it has been determined, and woe to that one by whom he is betrayed. Then they began to ask one another which one of them it could be who would do this. A dispute also arose among them as to which one of them was to be regarded as the greatest. The kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. Rather, the greatest among you must become like the youngest, and the leader like one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? It is not the one at the table. But I, among you, as one who serves, you are those who have, st- who have stood by me in my trials, and I confer on you, just as my Father has conferred on me, a kingdom, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom." And you will sit on on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Simon, Simon, listen. Satan has demanded to sift all of you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your own faith may not fail, and you, when once you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. I tell you, Peter, the cock will not crow this day until you have denied me three times that you know me. 
When I sent you out with a purse, without a purse, bag, or sandals, did you lack anything? No, not, not a thing. thing. But now the one who has a purse must take it, and likewise a bag. And the one who has no sword must sell his cloak and buy one. For I tell you, this scripture must be fulfilled in me. And he has counted among the lawless. And indeed, what is written about me is being fulfilled. Lord, look, here are two swords. It is enough. He came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. Pray that you may not come into the time of trial. Then he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel from heaven appeared to him and gave him strength. In his anguish he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down on the ground. When he got up from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping because of grief. Why are you sleeping? Get up and pray that you may not come into the time of trial. While he was still speaking, suddenly a crowd came, and the one called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him. Judas, is it with a kiss that you are betraying the Son of Man? Those who were around him saw what was coming. Lord, should we strike with the sword? Then one of them struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his right ear. No more of this. Jesus touched his ear and healed him. He turned to the chief priests, the officers of the temple police, and the elders who had come for him. Have you come out with swords and clubs as if I were a bandit? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me. But this is your hour and the power of darkness. Then they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. But Peter was following at a distance. When they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him in the firelight, stared at him. This man also was with him. Woman, I do not know him. A little later, someone else saw him. You also are one of them. Man, I am not. Then about an hour later, still another kept insisting. Surely this man also was with him, for he is a Galilean. Man, I do not know what you are talking about. At that moment, while he was still speaking, 
the cock crowed. The Lord turned and looked at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the cock crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Now the men who were holding Jesus began to mock him and beat him. They also blindfolded him. Prophesy, who is it that struck you? They kept heaping many other insults on him. When day came, the assembly of the elders of the people, both chief priests and scribes, gathered together, and they brought him to their council. If you are the Messiah, tell us. If I tell you, you will not believe. And if I question you, you will not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the power of God. Are you, then, the Son of God? You say that I am. What further testimony do we need? We have heard it ourselves from his own lips. Then the assembly rose as a body and brought Jesus before Pilate. We found this man perverting our nation forbidding us to pay taxes to the emperor and saying that he himself is the Messiah, a king. Are you the king of the Jews? You say so. I find no basis for an accusation against this man. He stirs up the people by teaching throughout all Judea, from Galilee where he began, even to this place. When Pilate heard this, he asked whether the man was a Galilean. And when he learned that he was under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him off to Herod, who was himself in Jerusalem at that time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad, for he had been wanting to see him for a long time, because he had heard about him and was hoping to see him perform some sign. He questioned him at some length, but Jesus gave him no answer.
The chief priests and the scribes stood by, vehemently accusing him. Even Herod with his soldiers treated him with contempt and mocked him. Then he put an elegant robe on him and sent him back to Pilate. That same day, Herod and Pilate became friends with each other, because this they had, before this they had been enemies. Pilate then called together the chief priests, the leaders, and the people. You brought me this man as one who was perverting the people, and here I have examined him in your presence and have not found this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Neither is Herod, for he, has sent, for he sent him back to us. Indeed, he has done nothing to deserve death. I will therefore have him flogged and release him. Then they all shouted out together, Away with this fellow! Release Barabbas for us! This was a man who had been put in prison for an insurrection that had taken place in the city and for murder. Pilate, wanting to release Jesus, addressed them again, but they kept shouting, Crucify! Crucify him! Why? What evil has he done? I have found in him no ground for the sentence of death. I will therefore have him flogged and then release him. But they kept urgently demanding with loud shouts that he should be crucified, and their voices prevailed. So Pilate gave his verdict that their demand should be granted. He released the man they asked for, the one who had been put in prison for insurrection and murder, and he handed Jesus over as they wished. As they led him away, they seized a man, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming from the country, and they laid the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A great number of the people followed him, and among them were women who were beating their breasts and wailing for him. Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For the days are surely coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, Cover us. For if they do this when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two others also, who were criminals, were led away to be put to death with him. When they came to the place that is called the Skull, they crucified Jesus there with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots to divide his clothing, and the people stood by watching, but the leaders scoffed at him. He saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Messiah of God, his chosen one. 
The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine. If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him. This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged there kept deriding him. Are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him. Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed have been condemned justly, for we are getting what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, while the sun's light failed. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus cried with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. When the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God and said, Certainly this man was innocent. And when all the crowds who had gathered there for this spectacle saw what had taken place, they returned home, beating their breasts. But all his acquaintances, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance, watching these things. Now there was a good and righteous man named Joseph, who, though a member of the council, had not agreed to their plan and action. He came from the Jewish town of Arimathea, and he was waiting expectantly for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down, wrapped it in a linen cloth, and laid it in a rock-hewn tomb where no one had ever been laid. It was the day of preparation, and the Sabbath was beginning. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed, and they saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath they rested, according to the commandment.
to the question of evil, let us live our answer by choosing the cruciform path of faith. Let us meet evil with honesty, grief with grace, failure with faith, and death with dignity. Let us carry ourselves in belief. Let us affirm the faith of Christ, which empowers us to withstand what we cannot understand. Let us remember that it is not the passion of Christ that defines the person of Christ, but the person that defines the passion. Let us remember that it is not suffering that bears meaning, but a sense of meaning that bears up under suffering. Let us remember that it is not the cross that carries the love, but the love that carries the cross. Let us remember that it is not crucifixion that encompasses salvation, but salvation that encompasses even the tragedy of crucifixion. Let us remember that it is not the long sentence of Holy Week with all its phrases, dependent clauses, and semicolons that completes the gospel, but it is the punctuation to come in seven days, the last mark of the week to come in 168 hours, whether it be the exclamation point of Peter, the full stop period of Paul, or the question mark of Mary, Easter defines Holy Week and not the, the other way around. The resurrection follows but does not replace the cross. The cross precedes but does not overshadow the resurrection. It is life that has the last word, and there is a God to whom we pray in the assurance of being heard. Deliver us from evil. We welcome you again to, to Marsh Chapel, whether you're here with us in the nave or listening via 90.9 WBUR or later on the podcast, please know that you are a valued part of our community. For those of you who are seated in the nave, we ask that you participate in our ritual of friendship by putting your name and contact information in the red books found along the center aisle of each pew. This helps us to get to know you better and for you to surreptitiously get to know the person who's sitting next to you. Um, today is the last day to order and dedicate lilies for the Easter Sunday service. If you would like to do so, there are forms in your bulletin. You can also do so online. Um, please get that, that information to Caitlin Noe in the main office. Uh, today is also the la last day to sign up for Easter breakfast food. Um, if you can 
see Caitlin downstairs to do that as well. She still has a few more things that she's looking for. If you are bringing food, she asks that you bring it uh, by Saturday at 1 o'clock. We have a very busy week, as you can tell from our bulletin. Uh, it is Holy Week. We will have services on Monday, Maundy Thursday at 6 p.m., on Good Friday from 12 p.m. to 3 p.m., the Great Vigil of Easter at 7.30 p.m. on Saturday, an Easter sunrise service at 7.30 a.m. out on the beach, um, which is right behind the chapel, and then two Easter Eucharist services at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. next week. And with a special note about our Good Friday service, uh, Scott Jack, Dr. Scott Allen Jarrett has a note for us. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Jessica. Uh, good morning, everybody. Just uh, a quick note about the music that we'll be performing for Good Friday this year, we have commissioned uh, a major work to accompany our tradition for Marsh Chapel's Good Friday observances. And, and I'm delighted to uh, pre a sneak preview this morning for you here uh, live with us and listening by radio. Uh, we're about to perform Rise Up My Love, My Fair One, which comes from the fourth part of this extended work, this commission for Good Friday. Uh, the title of the piece is The Most Sacred Body of Jesus, and the composer is my very good friend James Kallenbach. Um, and this is an extended work for string orchestra, chorus, and soloist, and it will be premiered in uh, seven different parts over the course of the seven mini-services that comprise uh, our Good Friday liturgy. So this is a, just a, a little preview of the beauty to come later in the week. We encourage your support and attendance. Thank you. Thank you, Scott. Uh, a special note for our families with children, we also invite you to participate in either of um, next Sunday's Easter egg hunts at 8 a.m. or at noon, um, if you are interested in doing that as well. For all other news and events at Marsh Chapel, we invite you to visit our website, bu.edu chapel, where there is also the opportunity for online giving. Now, as the ushers wait upon us for the offering, let us remember that it is a gift and a discipline to be a giver as we meditate on Kallenbach's Rise Up, My Love.
Hosanna to you, our Lord Jesus Christ, as we remember and tell the stories of palms and passion, accept and consecrate these gifts, that they may be used to celebrate your divine love and walk alongside your suffering in service to all those least, last, and lost. Amen. grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the communion of the Holy Spirit be and abide with each one of us now and always. Amen.